This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Redemption. As Jamie was saying, we're going to be reading from Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 15, and this is uh, the passages of a, a lot of difficult cities, so I'm going to see if we can get these, these names correct on these cities. And they went through the region of Pyra and Galatia, and have been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysra, they attempted to go into Bithia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Myra, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia, standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail for Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samarath, and following day to Nepolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony. We remained in the city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we were supposed there was a place of prayer, and sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, Thyatira, and a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God, the Lord, opened her heart and paid attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come to my house. And she prevailed upon us. Jay, the trick is just to sound confident, regardless of how you pronounce it. Just fake it. They don't, they don't know. They don't know how it's pronounced anyway. <clears throat> Well, it's going to be back in this text. This was a text I was going to preach when I lost my voice. And if you can hear right now, it's going again. The allergies are just, just rough. And so, um, but I should have enough to get through today. So, um, uh, yeah, so Drew went a little further last week. So we're coming back again to this text. And I'm excited to do it. I think it's a great text. And I was eager to preach it the day I lost my voice. And so I'm eager to preach it again today. Because I think, I think this really addresses a very common issue that, that a lot of Christians, probably most if not all, Christians face at some point in time. In fact, when I was graduating Bible college, I attended Faith Baptist Bible College in Ankeny, Iowa. In my senior year of Bible college, we were leaving. Uh, you know, you would expect there to be a lot of excitement. People are getting their degrees. They're going out into full-time ministry. You would anticipate a lot of excitement among people about this transition. But instead, there was really like a lot of anxiety and fear and really so much that it was almost like a cloud over the seminary. So, um, I happened to meet one of the guys that was kind of feeling this way in the library one day, and I was like, bro, like, what's going on? Why is everyone so, like, like scared right now? And he said, well, I don't know about them, but, man, I know for me, like, I, I'm struggling figuring out what God's will is for my life. Like, I, I know I'm supposed to be a, a pastor, but I got two churches that are, like, okay with me coming. I've candidated in both of them. They both have extended a call, and I don't know which one God wants me to take. And that, that like fear and worry and stress over figuring out the will of God was like shared by so many people. 
Now, I'll come back to that story in a minute, but um, have you ever felt that way? Okay, I know that I should do something, but what does God want me to do? And yeah, the Bible has all the answers, right? The Bible has all the answers. So I know I shouldn't like steal anything or probably shouldn't kill anybody, but Toledo versus Boston? Which one does God want me to do? Because I looked in my Bible and I didn't find Boston anywhere in it. By the way, if you have a Bible that has Boston, would you come see me later and we'll... Where's Matt? Matt, probably, yeah. How do you figure out God's will when God's word doesn't say, this is it right here? Well, um, I think that's a good question to ask. In fact, that's going to be our big question of the day, uh, which is this. How do I follow God's leading? How do I follow God's leading? Because I want to say to you, I believe God has a will. I believe we can follow it. And I believe God wants you to know it. And I believe he reveals it to you. And so we're going to take a look at this as we go through this interesting text of Scripture, this interesting story. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you kind of four overriding principles from the text. Okay, so four overriding principles from the text. But then as we go through this, you're going to see sometimes I'm going to give steps and lists. So a lot of teaching today, but bear with me in all that. But here's the first kind of overriding principle I want to share with you. It's a challenging one. It's this. Trust God when he closes a door. Trust God when he closes a door. Look at this, starting verse number six with me now, if you would. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having forbidden the Holy Spirit to speak the word, by the Holy Spirit, to speak the word in Asia. Interesting, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. That's odd. Verse number seven. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go through Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. All right, so Paul had this plan. And, and, and was it like a sinful plan? Was Paul trying to do something bad in these cities? No, no, they wanted to preach the gospel in these cities. It was a good plan to do a good thing. And yet God said no to that specific element of what Paul wanted to do. So much so that God shut the door to those things. Now, it's interesting that God does not share exactly how the door was shut. Was it through special revelation, like a vision or something? Don't know. Was it through circumstances? They just couldn't go for whatever reason. We don't know. We do know Paul wanted to go for a good reason, and God said no. God shut the door. Have you ever experienced that in your life? where you had a plan, you had a thought, you had something you wanted to do, and it was good, and maybe even God-honoring, but God just said, nope, and shut the door to you. I've probably shared this before, but I'll share it again. When I was a senior pastor in Elkhart, Indiana, uh, I was approached by a large church kind of near us, and uh, they uh, were looking for an associate pastor who would kind of come in, be the kind of the second guy, would also lead in discipleship and biblical counseling, and this sounded like a perfect fit to me. 
And, you know, I was realizing that this church that I had was pastoring, you know, uh, I got there, I was really conservative, I was a whole lot less conservative seven years in, so I was kind of feeling like, okay, God's probably leading me on someplace. And then this door opened up, and it really seemed like God's leading, it seemed really exciting. And so, Courtney and I began to pray about it. Then I was coming across verses that was like, pray with faith, believing, and I'm like, oh, if I pray with enough faith, then God's going to open this door. So I just, I'm going to do it, I'm going to own this by faith, I'm going to pray hard. I began praying hard about it, and it went on for months, and I'm praying, and I'm excited, and, you know, I get to be still in the same, you know, city, basically, in the same house, but I don't have to be a senior pastor. Their weight is off, and I can just be a, one of the guys, and if you don't know, the associate pastors, they don't do much. You know, the senior pastor does most of the work. The other guys just kind of hang out. So anyway, I was excited to kind of just, just you know, be all, part of all that, and, and then it got down to two of us, and there were two guys there, and they chose the other guy. Oh. And they came back to me and said, you know, you really, you really are more a senior pastor than you are an associate pastor. I said, we're going to choose this other guy. And I was like, what? And the, God, like, it was so clear. And he told me to pray with faith and it would be mine. I did. And yet the door shut. It, I mean, it, it really broke my heart. I, mean, I remember going out behind our house and, and really weeping. Like, like I cried because God shut that door. It was so hard. So, did God have another plan for me? Uh-huh. To plant a church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and God sent us here to do that very thing. And uh, I look back on that whole thing now, and like when I was writing this sermon, I was in, my, in our library at our house, and I was watching the sunrise, and I was like, oh, I, I just, God has been so good. I love this church most of the people. I love this church. I love this city. Like, I love Fort Wayne. It was such a fit for us. My kids have had such awesome opportunities. We homeschool, but the homeschool opportunities here are huge, and they're just like, God just really, his, his way was better. And that kind of goes along with scripture, doesn't it? Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Now, by the way, in the exact context of Isaiah 55, it's actually talking about the gospel. The gospel is better than we can imagine, but the reality is not just our redemption, but all of our life, his plan is better. And it's incredible when we just step back and see God's plan. But is it easy in the moment? Especially when it's a story like that. And this has happened several times. When, like, it's almost spooky how my devotions are saying something. And, like, God's word is saying something. And it seems so clear. This is what God's going to do. This is it. Only for him to say, yeah, nope. And you're like, what's going on, God? Why, why did you make it seem like this was what you were going to do only for you to close the door? You ever think about that? Well, I, I think it's like this. Um, so I use this teabag illustration a lot in counseling. If I were to fill one of these teabags with grass clippings, how can you really figure out what's inside the teabag? One of my counselees once said, well, I'll just open the teabag. Well, okay, but for my illustration, that doesn't work. Okay, so we're going to go back. It's the only teabag you can ever open, all right? So that's going to, anyway, put hot water on the teabag, right? Put hot water on what's ever inside the teabag will raise to the surface. And in those moments where, like, God, God I thought I was doing this, but he did this instead, it, it, he is doing something. 
He is doing something. But it's something more in me than it is anything else. John Piper has said, when God is doing one thing, he's doing a million things. And in those moments, God is doing something, and you just got to, it really tests your trust in the Lord. So it brings me to a couple of questions, and can you be honest with yourself about these? This can be hard. When God shuts a door, you think he's leading to something you really, really want, and God says no, that can be really hard. Can I get a witness? All right, so questions. Do you have some residual bitterness to God for some doors he's closed? I've heard of people that were, thought that God was going to lead them to missions only for it not to happen. That was a good thing. God, why'd you shut that door for God to seem to lead this way and, and he just doesn't? And is there some residual bitterness? And what does that bitterness reveal to you? Here's a really interesting question to ask yourself. What did you want so much that when God didn't allow it, you decided not to trust him? Trust him when he closes the door. Trust God when he closes the door. God knows. Everyone say it. God knows. Say it, say it more confidently. God knows, and we can trust him. Very good. Number two, follow God when he opens the door. Follow God when he opens the door. Let your eyes fall on verse number nine next. Verse number nine. <clears throat> Verse number eight, sorry, verse number eight. And so passing uh, by Mysia, and by the way, I was going to put maps up here and all that kind of stuff, but just follow the story. They didn't go to Asia. Any questions? All right, so passing through Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision... Immediately, he sought to go down to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us. By the way, now Luke here joins them in the missionary journey. That's why it all of a sudden became first person. Called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, you get the idea. So now God says, okay, not there, but here. I want you to go to Macedonia. Now, interestingly enough, where we don't know how he closed the door to the other places, we know how he opened this door, and it was through a supernatural dream, a supernatural vision, God directs them to go there. Okay, so God leads. Everyone say that with me now. God leads. God leads, and we can trust his leading. But here's the big fat question of the day. Great. So how does he lead? Today. I got a choice I got to make. And do I need to wait for a dream from some guy to appear? Apparently he was wearing Macedonia U on his, that's all he knew was from Macedonia. They're like, do we got to wait for that? And then God's going to tell me through a dream, is that how it is? Or, or do I just like set out fleeces? Is that how I determine the will of God? Like, how does this all kind of work together? Well, I, okay, I do believe that God wants to show his will to us. That's a really important thing to say. Because I, the idea that I got when I was at Bible college is, is that like, like these people believed that God was hiding his will. 
Oh, you want to know what my will? Nope, not over here now. It's over here. Oh, you're praying? Not going to let you see my will. Not going to show it to you. Not going to tell you. And they get this vision of God. Just tell me why. Well, I believe God shows his will. I believe that very strongly. But here's how I think he does it. God shows us his will through revelation. Write that down someplace. God shows us his will through revelation. Well, of course that's the case. Because to know his will, he has to tell us. He has to reveal it to us. So then the question, okay, well, how does that happen? Can it happen through visions and dreams and all of that? Well, I grew up Baptist, and the Baptist in me wants to say no. But as I studied the word of God more, I understand that God can very much do that if he wants to. God can choose to have a vision. God can choose to have someone have a dream. God can lead us in our spirit. I believe all those things are, are true. But I, I, I don't believe it's the primary way. Listen to me now. I don't believe in our day-to-day visions, dreams, feelings of our heart or whatever are the primary way he leads us. I believe the primary way he leads us is through his word. Anyone know, um, don't put it up yet, Anna. Anyone know Psalm 119, 105 by heart? Amy Grant sang a song about it back in the 80s and 90s. For those of us who are old enough to remember. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Kristen and I know it. Are you with me on this? Psalm 119, 105 says this. Read it with me. Oh, wow. Let's just sing it, shall we? So, by the way, this project... Oh, there we go. Okay, okay. I thought the projector went out. This projector has been with us since day one of our launch. The same projector. So it is like, go projector. You got this. All right. Uh, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Everyone say it with me. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my... What's the lamp? What's the light? God's word is the lamp. God's word is the light. What do lamps and lights do when you're in darkness? Well, they show you your next step. And I believe the word of God is sufficient often to show us the next step. So let me kind of put all this together. God leads us. God leads us through revelation. And in our day, come on, hold your Bible up. In our day, let's do this together. In our day, the primary source of revelation we have is God's completed, perfect, sufficient word. Can God lead supernaturally? Yes, he can. Does he always? Well, he already has a lot of ways. Let me show you exactly how all of this kind of fits together. Let's go back to my friends at Bible college were really struggling with figuring out what is God's will for me? What is God's will for me? How do, I, how do I do this? Here's what they were looking for. And maybe this is often what you're looking for in your life. You're looking for the dot in the very center of the will of God. That dot is that one choice you have to make here or you're out of the will of God. Which church should I pastor? Which woman should I marry? Which car should I buy? Which house should I buy? You name the big decision, and we want to figure out that exact choice, that dot in the center of God's will. By the way, it's really revealing when you ask yourself, why do I need to know that so much? Well, because I really don't want life to go hard. I don't want to suffer. Does sometimes God have us suffer? 
And not only this, but we also rejoice in our suffering, knowing suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts, the Holy Spirit has been given to us. Yes, he sometimes intends for that. I, I, here's the thing. Do I think there's a dot? And I have to say, okay, if you believe that God is sovereign, right? He's in control of all things. He has a plan for my life. Do I believe there's a dot? Well, yes. Looking back, I can say with all certainty, God wanted me to marry Courtney. At the time, I chose Courtney because she was godly and she was a redhead. And one day, we were rising up and taking over the world. Can I get a witness? Thank you. Gingers unite. That's it. We got it. <clears throat> and we had three redheaded children. Um, so, but no, but I mean, like, like, but, but like, I, I, that was it. Courtney was the one. God, God's will for, was for me to plant a church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and to be that pastor, I hope, until the day I die, or I'm raptured. So that's uh, absolutely, that's God's will. I can look back and see it clearly. Here's the deal. I don't think God reveals that perfect will ahead of time. But we want to know, we want to know, we want to know. Okay, so then God doesn't care about my individual decisions in life? No, God very much, very much cares about your decisions. But you have to understand it rightly. So we're going to walk through this. How do we determine the will of God? How do we do it? Good book on the topic, Decision-Making in the Will of God by Gary Friesen. Decision-Making in the Will of God by Gary Friesen. Another good one is by John MacArthur. I think it's How to Make Decisions or Decision-Making in God's Word, something like that. It's another one by John MacArthur. Very similar ideas behind both of those books. But let me give you five steps. Here's five steps to determining the will of God. Okay, step number one is uh, God's Word specifically. God's Word specifically. I need to make a choice about something. I'm going to do the research and study to see what God's word says about that something. Let me give you two examples. Example number one, let's say you're looking for someone to marry, and you've got to find a spouse. Does God's word have anything to say about what a husband should be and what a wife should be? Yes. Very much. Lots. I'll give you one verse. Here's Ephesians 5, 33. However, let each of you love his wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. So if you're dating a dude that doesn't love Jesus, how can he possibly get to love you as Christ loved the church? He's not going to get it. Probably not the dude you're going to marry or should marry. If he doesn't love you and treats you with the kind of tenderness and care that Jesus does, He's not even trying to, probably not the guy. If she doesn't respect you, it has no you know, heart to do so, probably not her. Let's talk about maybe a church. We've got to find a church. We need, let's look for a church and see what God, okay, does God's word say anything about how he wants the church to behave? Here's Ephesians 3.21. To him be glory in the Church. The church has to be fired up and passionate about making God's glory shine. It should not be about a dude or a band. It should be about Jesus Christ and his glory. And the church must be sold out for the glory of God. Secondly, the pastor better preach the word. Why do I say that? Because 2 Timothy 4 says this. Can you read it with me, those underlined words? 
Preach the word. So what should I do this week? Like, I, I know I'm, I got to get in the pulpit and I got to say some stuff. What should I preach? How about some ideas? How about some things that I think are, are cool? How about some comedy? I'm really good at comedy anyway. This comes naturally for me, though. I don't have to try. It just, it just happens. Uh, no. <laughs> it's not that funny, okay? All right? Come on. No, I'm supposed to. Come on now. Say it with me. Preach the word. So if you're looking for a church, find one that preaches the word. I mean, it's, it's okay, so hopefully you're seeing God's word has really a lot of specific instruction. If you did the work, you did the labor, you got in and you said, okay, what does God's word say about this? Do the research. You're going to find a lot. That's step number one. Step number two is this. God's word generally. God's word generally. So there are some principles in the word of God that apply to a lot of different areas. And it gives you a lot of guidance. And it might not be directly about the thing you're trying to decide to do, but it helps dictate that decision. For example, 2 Corinthians 6.14 is not in the context of marriage. 2 Corinthians 6.14 is not. It's often used that way. The context is in marriage. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. But does the principle still apply? Yes, it does. Why would you have partnership with someone who doesn't know Jesus? That principle still absolutely applies. Let me give you another example. Let's say I'm out buying a car. I'm not in the market for a car right now, so don't come show me your jalopy. But uh, let's say I'm, I'm buying a car, and I'm going to pick out the car. I'm probably not going to buy a manual transmission right now. And I'm not going to because Courtney can't drive a manual transmission and I'm supposed to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I'm supposed to dwell with her in an understanding way. And so I'm not going to like leave her. You know, maybe I need the other car, and so she's only got my car, and she can't drive it. Like that's not loving or kind or thoughtful. You tracking with me? So God's word kind of gives me direction in that. By the way, that principle, husbands, of dwelling with your wife in an understanding way, knowing your wife, functioning accordingly, will probably give you a whole lot of guidance about the decisions you make in your life. Here's some more. I'm going to give you a list. I'm going to give you four. This, really, I got a lot of them. Let me just give you four key ones. And uh, if you try to write all this down, you're going to hurt yourself. So uh, we will send this out later. And so just, just hold on to that. Maybe write down the question and then the scripture reference that might help you as, just for today. So here's question number one. Is it a weight? Is it a weight? This is coming from Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Will participating in this activity hinder me from doing my best for Christ? Will making one decision um, or another weigh me down as I try to live for God? Is it a weight? Here's another principle that would apply. Is it enslaving 1 Corinthians 6, 12. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Is there danger in this path where I might be controlled by something? Is this, uh, will this form a sinful habit that will be hard for me to break later? Really key question, is it a stumbling stone? Is it a stumbling stone? Number three, is it a stumbling stone? This is from... Uh, 1 Corinthians 8.13, therefore, if food 
makes my brother stumble. I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. By the way, uh, when Adam comes back from vacation, I'm going to tell him that I've become a vegetarian for the Lord. So he'll never be able to eat meat in front of me again. Okay, you pray for Adam. He, just, he sent me this link last week about this tick that can bite you and the disease it can give you makes you allergic to meat. Yeah, he hasn't slept well since he discovered that tick exists. So you'd be praying for Adam in his life. Is it a stumbling stone? Number four, this is really key now. This is really, really key. Is it on mission? Is it on mission? Uh, Colossians 4, 5, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. And we've shown you this several times now. 1 Corinthians 10, 32, give no offense either to Jew or to Greeks or to the church of God. That's in context. 1 Corinthians 10, remember this context where it's talking about, okay, do I eat the meat offered to idols? Do I not? Well, listen, whatever puts the gospel forward, whatever is best for the spreading of the gospel. And that's a real key question. Is there anything in my life that is hindering my testimony? What is the best for the spreading of the gospel? So some principles there that I hope will kind of help give guidance as you make this decision. But listen, Ephesians 5 is not the only passage that talks about marriage. In fact, the whole book is helpful to your marriage. The principles are in it are helpful to your life. Study the word, get to know the word, the context of the word. So, okay, look, there's first two steps, and there's a whole lot of Bible study there, right? Would you go to a passage with me? Would you go to 2 Timothy chapter 2? 2 Timothy chapter 2. Just turn there in your Bibles. And I want you to look at verse 15. If you grew up in Awana, you memorize this verse because it's the Awana verse. 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. How do we, how do, we do that? Well, we rightly handle. So do your best. New King James says, be diligent. Let's do the work of knowing the word of God. <clears throat> Step number three in our process of determining God's will, I would encourage you to get godly counsel. Why? Because God, God's word tells you to. I, uh, there's a list I, I came across on the, on the you know, just all the verses in the song of Proverbs that tell us to get godly advice. There's probably like 20 some odd verses in Proverbs alone that says, get advice, get counsel, get advice, get counsel. Talk to others who are older and wiser and they know. Chances are that counsel is going to say, have you thought about this verse? And you're like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Or I didn't think about that. That applies to this text. But get godly counsel. Number four, consider circumstances. That's an important step. Consider circumstances. Um, when we were trying to, this past year, twice we tried to buy other property as a church. And we tried to buy this one, and then God just shut that door. Then we had another one open up. Oh, that's why God shut that door. He's leading us to this property. And then that door shut. And so now here we remain. And who knows why and what God has in store. But God knows best. Everyone say that with me. God knows best, and we trust him along the way. So circumstances. Sometimes God just says no. And here's what's going to shock some of you. But when you've done all that work, and you come down to it, and you still have choices to make, then do this. Make a choice. And I think it's really okay for you to pick the thing that you like. If I was buying a car, 
And I did all the things, I got through all the steps, and I got down to it, and there's two cars left. Chances are, I'm buying the black one. Why? Because I like black cars. I think it probably comes from growing up watching Knight Rider. Are you with me? You know, so like, I'm just hoping one day the car will talk back to me. That'd be super cool. But anyway, point is, is like, like I'm going to pick the car I like. Well, we can't do that. We can't do that. Yeah, right, because God would hate it if I drove around a car that I really liked, wouldn't he? Our God's a good God. He loves you. And if you're making all these choices and you're doing it with a careful study of the word of God, I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. In fact, think, think of it this way. You have the sovereign will of God. All things that happen, happen in the sovereign will of God. Ephesians 1.11 talks about how, how he, has, he has appointed all things from the beginning of the world. Daniel uh, 4.35 says that all things work after his, his own counsel. He does according to his own will. So God does what he wants to do. He is sovereign. Tracking with that? Now, within the sovereign will of God, this is what we call the moral will of God, and that's his word. For example, is it God's will that you lie? No, it's not. Do people lie? Yes. So it's allowed in his sovereignty that we can say it is not God's will. There are several verses that say this is God's will. One, to flee sexual immorality. One, to pursue sanctification. Uh, we can go on and on, but there's God's moral will. What he's revealed in his word so, so is there then in the center this exact dot that I'm supposed to seek out and all of that? And if, I, if I'm in the boundaries of God's word, but I choose the red car and not the black car, and I'm supposed to choose the black car, then all of a sudden I'm not in God's will anymore? See, I don't believe that that's how it works. Because I believe the moral will of God is the will of God. Or if I can say it this way, you cannot be within the boundaries of the word of God and still be out of the will of God. God's word is God's will and God's will is his word. You with me on this? And so you do the work. You study his word. So then what about the supernatural leading? Can God do that? Yes, he can. But listen to me. The further away you get from the word of God, the less certain you can be it's actually God's will. But God told me this. Okay, maybe he did. I'm not saying that he didn't. But did you also then research God's word to see what it has to say about that? Because maybe the same that you heard goes against, and that people have come and said that. God's told me to do this. Really though? Because God's word says this. So chances are he didn't really say that. I don't know what you heard, but you didn't hear God. All right, big overriding principles. Number one, trust God when he closes a door. Number two, follow God when he opens a door. Number three, similar to what I've just been talking about, but number three, use the brains that God gave you. Use the brains that God gave you. Well, where are you getting that in the text? Good question. A couple places. Uh, take a look at verse number, um, really, uh, so in verse number 10, immediately they, they're going to go to Macedonia, okay? They concluded God wants us to preach the gospel in Macedonia, so we're going there. Then look at verse number 11. So setting stuff from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and there to Philippi. So, so why did they go that route? Because it was the best route to go. <laughs> well, did God say to them, thou shalt go first to Samothrace, and then thou shalt go to... No, 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 he didn't. They just used their brains. Check this out, go to verse number 13. 
And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. All right, so where did Paul normally go when he went to a new city? Went to the synagogue. But in Philippi, it, it appears as if there wasn't a synagogue. You have to have at least 10 Jewish men in order for a synagogue to be established. Chances are in Philippi, they didn't have it. So now where do we go? And now what do we do? Well, they go down by the river. Why? Well, the text said, we supposed, we kind of thought, maybe there's a place of prayer there. And they went. And there was some BSF happening on the riverside over there. Some women gathering together to study a little bit. And so they went over there. And, um, and, and this is what happens. This is awesome what God does. And one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her, opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So God does a work. Why? Because they just got their brains around it and made some choices. And that's how you do it. You understand the principles of God's word. And then you do your best to walk in accordance to that and making some choices. Like here's 1 Timothy 2.9. Likewise, also, that women should adorn themselves in respectful apparel with modesty and self-control. I think it's an important biblical principle that not just women, but all people dress modestly. Amen? Okay. But I won't do this, but I could bring two women up here and say, this woman's dressed modestly, and this woman's dressed modestly, and they don't wear the same thing. They have a different style. Of course they do, because they make different choices. But within the boundaries of God's word, they made some choices that they like. And that's perfectly okay. Another example, here's Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Hey, what's my job, according to this text? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ. So here at Redemption, how we do that is we have discipleship pathways. We've written booklets. We have this plan for you. If you want to grow in your walk, we have a step-by-step plan for you to get involved and grow in your walk. Then we have leadership pipelines. We don't have that because the Holy Spirit sent down some angel to me and said, Jamie, develop a discipleship pathway and a leadership pipeline. No, but we just put our brains on it and got some things figured out and we functioned accordingly. So in your world, just, man, be okay. Be okay. Feel the freedom to use your brain as long as you're in the boundaries of the word of God to use some freedom and to figure some things out. But all that leading to this, write this last overriding principle down and then watch the gospel work. Watch the gospel work. Here's an important question for you. Why was Paul so concerned about following the Holy Spirit? Why? Why? Are we so concerned about figuring out the will of God? Why? Go back to verse number 10 for a second and look what Paul says there. Do you see how it ends with, or Luke says it as he writes, we thought maybe God wants us to go down and preach the gospel. Where did they get that idea? This is what we're called to do, to preach the gospel. Why was Paul so passionate about figuring out the will of God? 
preach the gospel. So as we've been talking today, and we've been discussing the will of God, and we've been walking through all these things, what's primarily on our hearts and on our minds? Well, this is helpful, so now I can make better decisions and have an easier life. Or, or, or should we be driven by this? I want to know God's will because I want to have every opportunity to preach the gospel. I want, I want to do this to live on mission. Of course they thought that God wanted them to preach the gospel because they were passionate about preaching the gospel. And look what God does with that. Let your eyes fall on the end of this text. So take a look now at verse number 15. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Chances are this was the beginning of the church at Philippi. The reason why we have the book of Philippians is all started right here. As Paul just listened to God, followed the Spirit, was driven by the mission of the gospel, and God did awesome things. And I'm convinced that that should be our heart. Let's get this city, the, 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 out to this city, the gospel, and let's say, God, lead us. Let me, let me see what your word has to say. Let me make decisions according to your word so that I can be more effective about telling others about Jesus and just see what God will do with that. Let's pray to that end right now. So God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for making your will so apparent in your word. And I pray, Father, that we here at Redemption would be students of your word, but let us be driven by the right thing, and that is this, that we can preach the gospel more effectively. Would you help me do that more in my life, God? And urge our church to be the same for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Redemption. You are loved.